Hi, my name is Andrea Bumstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android App Store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. It is wonderful to see everybody's faces. Okay. Uh, Before I get started here, guys, like, legitimately, can we just never become people that, that, I don't know, the abnormality and the supernatural nature of what the Shives and, and Dorian shared this morning? So I was in the room with Dorian's healing and it was kind of funny. Like, I feel like God has a sense of humor, right? So we're literally like, we're laying hands on him. We're praying for him and we're praying for his stomach. And it literally goes, (laughs) and we're like, something's happening. Keep praying. And literally he totally, the pain's gone. It's amazing, man. But I I say that because I don't ever want us to be people. Um, Like there's this balance, right? Of like, I want us to be people who aren't like surprised that God does supernatural, miraculous things, but I also don't want us to be people that are just kind of like, oh yeah, cool. Like, yeah, he healed again. Like there's this incredible reality of, of God's kingdom that is mysterious, but it's just beautiful. So I don't know. I just, I get so excited hearing stories about what God's doing in our midst. And I hope that you do too. I'm going to start my timer or I will be here all morning. Okay. So this morning, we are going to continue on in our series. We've titled Reset. Uh, we all, if you are in this room, congratulations. You, you made it through 2020, a uh, crazy year. And 2020 had a way of just kind of reorienting and disorienting, I should say, of disorienting so many of us. And so what we wanted to do is when God provided a space for us to gather once again, we, want, we wanted to take a, a season of time as a church to hit the reset button. And to, and to renew our devotion to Jesus and his ways. So that's what we've been doing for like the last six, seven weeks now. And this morning, we're going to continue doing just that. We are kind of, we hit the kind of halfway point in this series. So for the next six weeks, what we're going to do is week by week, we're going to, we're going to go through our six core values as a church. Um, when I say core values, what I mean is things that we value, things that we prioritize, like things that we, when I say value, like they're more important than other things and that's okay. Um, it, chances are if you, you live in a, in a home and in the household that you share with other people, there are values in that household. Um, raise your hand. If you have like your family values, they're either known or posted somewhere in your house. If, that, if not, that's okay. A handful of you. Okay, so some of you guys, literally, they're listed in your household. So it's like, this, this household values kindness, and this household values honesty, and this household values respect, or those are wonderful things, whatever it is for your household. Now listen, whether or not they're posted on your fridge or not, every family has values. The, the, the family that you grew up in had values. I remember um, when I was growing up, I remember certain, um, certain friends, like the more you get to know people and like, you know, they become not just a friend at school, but then you hang out after, outside of school and you get to know their, friend, their, their, their family and those kinds of things. I remember that I had friends in high school specifically. They were wonderful people. And they were like kind of the black sheep in their family. They were kind of the outcasts in their family because they were like the one kid who wasn't athletic. And their family really valued, like, athletics, sports, which is fine. It's great. I remember other friends who, uh, I can think of two specific people. I'll leave their names out. But in school, I remember these people were, like, funny and fun and cool and a joy to be around. And we'd be like, hey, let's hang out. Come hang out this weekend. We're going to do this or that or whatever, you know. And the answer was always no. 
not because they didn't necessarily want to hang out, but because they were busy studying. They were in the family that like, dude, academics was like the top value. So all they did was study. The 95% on the test wasn't quite good enough. Their family just valued academics above all else. And I'm not saying that sports or academics are bad. I think those two things are incredible. I think they're both gifts from the Lord. Um, But I want you to see this picture of like every family, every household has things that they value. If you were to identify, do something with me quickly, really quickly. I want to get your brains kind of turning. In the house that you grew up in, can you think of one or two things, whether they are posted on the fridge or not, one or two things that the, the family you grew up in valued? Get them in your brain. And maybe that's, you're having a hard time with that. Think about the family that you're in now, your household now. What are the things that you value as a family? If you, maybe you're going, hey, like I live on my own. That's fine. Like, okay, move it into like your workplace now. Because values translate everywhere. It's not just like a family thing. It's not a household thing. If you work for a corporation or you run your own business or whatever, you're self-employed. Every kind of group of people has things that they value. And those values, they permeate the environment that you find yourself in. So I just want you to think about what are some of the values and the different I don't know, environments that you live your life in. Every group has values, every organization, every individual. Every individual has values. And you can tell what a person or an organization or a group's values is how? By how they operate. By how they operate. In other words, how they live. So you can, you can, you can assess an individual, yourself or somebody else, And you can have a fairly accurate assessment of what they value based on how they live. It's not not a bad thing. It can actually be a really beautiful thing. Now, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start to talk about how our church is no different. Like our church is no different than any household or any, we're not a business, we're a family, but any, any, any group of people, okay? We have six core values, okay? And we want these values to not just be like values on paper, right? So that they're posted and it looks cool or whatever. No, but values, not just on paper, but in practice, like things that actually describe us as a community of people. We want our our six values to be indicators. So like, think of it this way. Like if someone moved here from Madagascar and they spent any amount of time, maybe they spent a couple few months with our community, that they would go, these people really value these six things. Not just because they saw it on a document somewhere or they heard a message about it, but because they, were, they assessed the way we live our lives and they came to that conclusion. You with me in this? Values. We have six. Gospel, family, dependence. When I say dependence, I mean dependence on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Gospel, family, dependence, mission, multiplication, and renewal. We're going to go through each of these over the course of the next six weeks. And now listen, every church, just like every household, they have values. Those are ours. Every church shares the same mission. They may have different values, but they share the same mission. The mission of the church of Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus. We would define a disciple as someone, a disciple means learner or apprentice, right? We would define a disciple as someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life, okay? So here's the question. If we're going to be a healthy church, that's mission is to make disciples, right? How do we gauge whether a person is actually growing as a disciple of Jesus? And not just hanging around, although everybody's welcome. There's a seat at the table for you. Period. Full stop. How then do we gauge a person's development as a disciple? Okay? How do we measure that? Because it's important. We all want to grow. We want to develop. We all want to mature. We all want to strengthen. We all want our faith to increase. How do we gauge? How do we measure discipleship? I've heard it said, um, I've heard it said that you can, like, uh, I want to be careful here how I use this language. I've heard leaders in the church say that a disciple is someone who is attending a church gathering, who is serving, and who is giving. Um, Those things, all those three things are awesome. Those things are great. The problem with that is you can do that and not be a Christian. 
Um, so we have to have a better definition. We have to have a better gauge. We have to have a, a better measurement, okay? So how do we? Restored Temecula. How do we gauge whether a person is actually growing as a disciple? The way we gauge it is those six values start to increasingly become more of a value to each individual. So it's kind of like you can, you can use those as a gauge. Am I growing in my valuing of the gospel, of the, my valuing of the church as the family of God, and depending on the spirit, are you with me in this? That's why this stuff is so important. That these, these six values are actually something that a disciple values. Yeah. So next six weeks, we're going to cover these six values. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to cover the first one. Herrick already talked about it. The value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. I'm excited about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the words will be on the screen for you. Thank you. God bless you, tech team. We salute you. We cheers to you. We love you for serving us. Okay. Uh, What I'm going to do is while you're flipping there, uh, I want to just pray for us. Okay. I want to pray before we jump into God's word. And pray and ask the Spirit to teach us, speak to us, guide us. Let's do it. Uh, Father, we are really thankful for another morning together. I don't ever want to take for granted time together as the people, as the family of God. And so, Spirit, would you, would you use me right now? Uh, despite <laughs> my imperfections and my flaws, would you help me to communicate effectively? Would you help me to serve and love and bless these precious people. I don't want to get in the way of anything that you want to do. And would you teach us, Holy Spirit? Would you make the gospel of Jesus come alive in our hearts and minds? We need you. We look to you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, okay? I'm in the Christian Standard Bible translation, just so that you know. Let's roll. This is Paul writing to the church, to Christians in the city of Corinth. He says this, Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, family language there, right? He wants to make clear the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless, he says, you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I passed on to you as most important, underline most important, What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Cephas is Peter, the apostle Peter, then to the 12, the other apostles, verse six. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep, so some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Okay. Here's what I want to talk about this morning. We're talking about our values, right? And how the gospel, I love that I had you underline the most important thing that Paul's sharing, right? The gospel's our most important value. There's a reason why it's number one on the list. After that, they're kind of in no particular order but the gospel is our chief value. It is the most treasured thing in all of the universe, okay? So what I want to talk about is what the gospel is, what the gospel means, and why it's so important to us. What the gospel is, what it means, and why it's so important for us, okay? I want to qualify some things. If you've been journeying with us for any length of time, nothing I say today will be new. You will have heard most of this, but hear me. Don't tune out. Just because you've heard it before, this is something that you need to hear, that I need to hear every single day that we have air in our lungs, okay? Let's jump in. What the gospel is. 
the word gospel, we read, we read the word gospel in our Bible, right? It's, it comes from the Greek word. It's translated Greek to English, right? It comes from the Greek word, evangelion. Evangelion, it's kind of where you get evangelized, right? Evangelion. Now, if you spent any time in the church, you know you've heard that gospel means good news, okay? And if you spend any time reading like Greek to English lexicons, it's basically how they work together to translate, you know, words from Greek towards English. Uh, let me just read you a quote from one of these lexicons that I really enjoy about this idea of gospel, right? What the word means. It says this, quote, in a number of languages, the expression, the gospel, or the good news, must be rendered by a phrase. For example, news that makes one happy or information that causes one joy or words that bring smiles or a message that causes the heart to be sweet, end quote. So gospel what it means as a word, it means joyful, good news. Joyful, good news. Now, during the time of Jesus, when this was written, okay, gospel, that word and that, that sentiment, joyful, good news, it was associated so often with military victories. Because I don't know if you know this, but if you're on the side of the victor, in a military battle, that means you're not on the side that was defeated. That's a really joyful good news for the, for the winning side, okay? It means you're not like in the bondage of slavery or worse yet, dead at the hands of the enemy. So, so often, this, this phrase gospel is associated with military victories. And what would happen is Rome, right? Rome, Rome is like the superpower of the world at the time. And they are conquering, they're, they're taking over so many different areas, right? So they're always at war. In Rome, they would be at war with these other nations. And what would happen is in the different towns, the town crier would get up, right? And announce at the public square, he would announce the gospel of this military victory or the gospel of that military victory. Are you tracking with me? So oftentimes this joyful good news was directly associated with military victories. Um, sometimes in my life, I'll go through different phases where I want to kind of deep dive in different historical events and just kind of geek out and watch documentaries and stuff. And this has happened to me multiple times where I have this kind of rediscovered, I don't know, just appreciation and really kind of awe for World War II and just how gnarly it was on every single level. Like, <laughs> real people went through that. Like, it's the craziest thing to me. It's just, it's intriguing. But if you're familiar with any of World War II history, uh, what's called VE or VJ Day. It's like V-Day. It's like the day of victory, right? Where the war was over. Like the, the, the America and the allied forces won. They, they, they defeated Germany and, the, and the Japan and the Axis powers and that whole thing. And if you see, like there's all these old pictures of like the streets of Manhattan just filled with people and they are partying, dude. They are celebrating. There's confetti in the air and they're just stoked out of their mind because they just heard the gospel of the military victory that them and their country and their comrades just experienced. You with me in this? Gospel, okay? It was news of the victory. It was a gospel. In the case of the Christian faith, we too have a gospel. It's the gospel, the joyful good news of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. So if you're a Christian in the room, Okay, I want to ask you something. If someone were to come to you and they were to ask you straight up, hey, like, I don't know anything about Jesus or Christianity. Like, can you explain to me what is the Christian gospel? What would you say? How would you respond to the question? I know that some of you are like, people aren't like knocking down my door and asking me what the Christian gospel is. So I want to put that in front of you because this is the most treasured information that has ever existed in all of creation. It's incredible and it's important. What would you say? What is the Christian gospel? Look back at verse three here. Paul lays it out plainly. I love this. He says this in verse three. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received is what he says, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So it was prophesied about, there was the prophecies hundreds of years before it actually took place. 
Uh, and then verse five, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12, and it lists a bunch of other people that he appeared to. So just want to recap here really quickly. The gospel laid out in this passage, Christ died for our sins, was buried. That means he was really dead. It wasn't like a weird kind of like in-between thing, like he really died. He rose from the grave and then he spent time with a bunch of people afterwards, people that were willing to die about it, saying like, no, yeah, I saw him. I really saw him. I spent time with him. Like I put my hands in the, in the holes of his, or I put my fingers in the holes of his hands. Like this is the news that Paul received and then reported to as many people as he possibly could. Here's the thing, friends. The fact that Christianity, what you're somewhat engaged in right now is a, is a, is a, is a practice, a spiritual practice within Christianity, right? The fact that Christianity is the result of a gospel message is what makes it different than, than any religion in the world. Totally different. Why? Because it's not advice. It's a gospel. It's, it's not a set of recommendations or directions about what to do or what not to do. It's a report about what's already been done. Are you with me in this? Fundamentally two different things. Okay? Listen, every religion in the world essentially teaches you what to do and what not to do. Um, Muslims have the, the five pillars of Islam. Uh, Buddhists have the, uh, the eightfold path to enlightenment. And the list goes on and on and on in other world religions, right? But Christianity is entirely different because Christianity is not like advice about what to do. It's news about what's been done. Christianity is the result of a gospel, a victory, good, joyful news, okay? I love this quote by Greg Owen. He says, the world has many religions, it has but one gospel. Um, recently, fairly recently, I saw this interview of this um, man, fairly like influential, successful worship leader. Uh, she was part of the church for many years, and it's she's kind of it's the whole thing is, is is she's telling the story of 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 how she lost her faith like how she walked away from the church, she walked away from Jesus. And, and she described having this like transactional relationship with God. And she's just like, she's like me and my husband, like we did all the right things. Um, we didn't do any, I'm seeing some kids in the room. We didn't do anything before we got married that we weren't supposed to do if you're tracking with me. She's like, we, like she just starts laying out all these things. We, we did what we were supposed to do. We didn't do what we weren't supposed to do. And she described this transactional relationship with God. She described doing all this stuff to earn things from God that ultimately didn't come. And so she started to get bitter. She started to get upset. She didn't get what she wanted and she walked away. It's like heartbreaking, man. It's like, it's so sad. And the saddest part is that's really common, friends. I don't have too much time to go into this, but if you look at any of the statistics, the church in the West is declining, not like this. It's declining like this. And so oftentimes, it's, 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 it's obviously heartbreaking. It's because people are approaching God the same way that this woman who spent years even leading in the church was approaching God. The world has many religions. It has but one gospel. The tragic thing, friends, is when people approach Christianity as though it's a religion. Because when you approach Christianity as though it's a religion, it's a rejection of what Christianity actually is. It's a gospel. Okay, it's not about what to do or not to do to earn things from God. Blessing, favor, money, babies. They talked about it. Like anything beautiful and good. It's not what to do or what not to do to earn things about, from God. It's news about what's already been done. That's what it is. It's the news about what's already been done in the life and the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, God in the flesh. And listen, the, the woman that I told you about the interview, like that was my story too, man. 
Guys, I, I spent, man, I, I would say this. I identified as a Christian for years before I came to understand that Christianity is actually about what God has done, not what I do. It doesn't mean that what we do doesn't matter. It doesn't have consequences. No, it does. But the essence of Christianity is about what he did and how that impacts me in my life. So review for you. What is the gospel? The gospel is the joyful good news about what God has done, not religious advice about what we should or shouldn't do. You with me? Okay, so if somebody off the street just comes up to you and says, tell me about the Christian gospel, you know. All right, my second point here, the second thing I want to talk about, what the gospel means, okay? What are the implications of the gospel, right? There's so many, friends. You could spend the rest of your life just deep diving into the implications of the gospel and you would be, you wouldn't find them all. It's, it's beautiful, okay? So many implications, but the most profound implication of the gospel is one simple phrase made up of three words. You've heard me say this before. The main implication of the gospel is one simple phrase made up of three words. God loves me. God loves me. And if you're sitting in this room, no doubt you've heard this before. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And after a while, it can kind of just become white noise. It can become maybe information or news even. It can become information that gets lost with all the other news reports coming at you at all times. All the other information that's bombarding your mind. But listen, I know you've heard this before, but don't tune me out. This is the greatest thing in the, in the entire world. It is the, it is the source of greatest joy that will ever be made available to you. Like nothing will, give, nothing will produce more joy in your heart in all of creation, the reality, the implication of the gospel that God loves you, God loves me. But here's the thing, you have to truly understand those three words. You have to truly understand. So I just want to spend a couple moments here breaking down these things. The first word is what? God, right? Now, the entire New Testament, the entire Old Testament, it presents God, the God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, Right? Father, Son, Spirit, triune God. It presents the God of the Bible as holy. Holy means like set apart in a league of your own. No one even comes close, right? You're matchless. There's no one like him. In Genesis chapter one, it says that God is the creator. It means that like, like he didn't create himself. Like he's the creator, right? Psalm 18 says that he's perfect. No flaws, Perfect. Uh, I love in Psalm 145, he says that he is righteous in all of his ways. Scriptures say he's everlasting. I want to point out, I want you to read one passage with me. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. I think we should have the words back there. It says this, I love it. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, that's God, is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. That means he doesn't get tired. There is no limit to his understanding. Okay, I'll keep going here. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says that he is the king of all the kings. He's the Lord of all the lords. He's, that means he's the highest authority, right? And the New Testament brilliantly and beautifully tells us the story of how that God puts on flesh, becomes a man in the person of Jesus, Okay. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. I love this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That means he shows us what God is like in every way. And then, and then further down in verse 19 of Colossians chapter one, it says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus, he shows us what almighty God is like. Holy, perfect, righteous in all his ways, etc., etc. That's God. The most important, the most profound, the most glorious being that has ever been and ever will be. All right, let's talk about the third word in that phrase, God loves me. Let's talk about me and let's talk about you. Okay, for starters, we were created. We're not the creator, right? Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female, right? So God created you, whether you're a, a man or a woman, 
And I love that at the end of that in Genesis, it said, uh, the scriptures say that it was good. God created man and he created woman in his image and it was good. I love that. But you guys know the story, sin, right? We all messed up. All of us fall short. All of us reject God in his ways. We rebel against God in his ways. Uh, Romans chapter one says that we all, every person rejects and rebels against God. Everybody. And because of that rejection of his authority, he's the king, he's the God of the universe. We reject his ways, we reject him. As a result of that, every person who does that, which is all of us, deserves punishment for that because God's just, right? Uh, let me read it for you really quickly. Romans chapter one, verse 18. A lot of scripture coming at you this morning, guys. Stay with me. This idea of punishment for sin, which is wrath, okay? For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So in other words, our ungodliness, okay, our unrighteousness, it deserves punishment. Okay, and then down in verse 25 of that same chapter in Romans, it says this. They, human beings, exchange the truth of God for a lie. Get the picture here. Exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. So all mankind, all of us rejected God, right? And we choose his stuff over him. He's a means to an end. You know, we cozy up with God so that we can get what we want, like the woman in the interview. And when that doesn't come, well, you don't serve my purposes anymore. So who's God in that relationship? But let's not go there. Okay. Here's my question. Have you ever been rejected? Like, take an assessment really quick. You ever felt that sting? You ever been betrayed by someone who really matters to you? God knows exactly what that feels like. I think so oftentimes we like to think of sin as just kind of like this ethereal, yeah. God's creator, and he created you with a purpose. You really matter, friend. Anybody who tells you you don't, they're lying to you. You really matter. God knows exactly what it feels like to be rejected. So the Bible says we reject God, we sin, we deserve his wrath, but the gospel says God loves me. Loves That second word. One of the most profound verses in all of the Bible, friends. We talked about it last week. I literally read this to you last week. As we read this, I want you to just consider. We talk about all the crazy gloriousness that God is. Okay, how undeserving and how rebellious and rejectful we can be towards him. Read this. Consider who God is and who we are. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God, I think it says proves, right? Yeah, proves his own love for us, not hate. Not frustration, not wrath. It's crazy, okay? Proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, the most profound implication of the gospel is that God loves this guy. God, almighty God loves me. You could search the depths of that reality and meditate that on that for the rest of your life. In the depth, you'll never get to the bottom. Almighty God in all of his glory loves me. The holy one loves the sinner. The good one loves the evil one. And how do we know? Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Friends, the gospel is the news that God became a man to live the life that you, the sinner, that I, the sinner, never could, and he did it in your place. And that he died the death that you and I deserve in our place. And that he rose from the dead. And there's the victory. There's the victory. Like the Romans declaring the gospel of a battle won or V-Day in New York City because of World War II. Friends, you gotta know this. 
and not just know it conceptually, but it's got to migrate from your brain to your heart, okay? The Christian gospel is the good news of a victory of God defeating sin, defeating death, defeating Satan because of his great love for sinners, for people who aren't perfect. If you are perfect, this gospel's not for you. But if you're like me and you're jacked up and you're selfish and you're self-centered, it's the greatest news in the world. It's the news about what he's done, not religious advice about what to do. Are you with me? Great. All right, my final point. Why is it so important for us? Why is it so important for us? Listen, the gospel means that God offers us forgiveness for our sins against him and our sins against others, okay? Why? Because Jesus was punished in our place. Is there anything more incredible than that? Jesus is punished instead of me for the sins that I have committed. And the same is true of you. For anybody who receives that and trusts in the gospel, it's incredible. But there's more. There's, it's like the greatest infomercial ever, you know? But there's more. Like, there's more. The gospel means God offers us forgiveness, yes, but it also means something else equally amazing, friends. God offers us what's known as justification. My favorite way, my favorite illustration for this, because it always makes me laugh, I'm going to laugh and you probably want, I should have brought a video, but uh, you may have heard me say this before. Does anybody ever, uh, when you're having, when when you're feeling down, does anybody else enjoy watching other people get hurt? like fail videos or like someone tripping and falling. I know it's, it's, I'm being honest with you. Like I'm a terrible person, (laughs) but it is funny to see this kind of thing happen. And I think the reason why people like me like it so much is because it's like, well, I'm not the only messed up person. So there's a specific video that I saw, I don't know, probably two years ago that I didn't bookmark it or anything, but I'd be lying to you if I said I haven't referred back to it multiple times. (laughs) And it is, if you've seen this, it is a video, it is a fail video of Olympic high divers. Has anybody seen this? Okay, it is glorious, Fred's like, when you go home today after you have lunch, maybe before or after your Sunday nap, you put this on, okay? And the specific video that I'm referencing is it has these two guys, and they're on the same team, I forget what country they're from, and they get up there, and they're up, <laughs> they're up on the high dive, they're in the speedos, man. They are like going for it and they're focused. They've been training for this, you know, and they like, and they do the jump and then another jump. And then they're supposed to do, you guys have seen the diving board. They jump, the guy flips, right? But they do a backflip and you do not see it coming, but tucks in, in like, you know, the faces and everything. And he comes back and he reaches for the water and he just backflops. And here's the thing about diving they score you based on like the size of your, of your splash. So you want to have very minimal splash. You want to like just cut through the water. You want to be tight in your like flips and twists and stuff. So the first guy gets up and just backflops, guys. Like it was, it's hilarious. You have to see it. <laughs> and then what they do is while the other guy on his team is getting up and getting ready, they replay it in slow motion. <sighs> I don't know if there's anything better. <laughs> Because you see the look on the guy's face, like he's up there and he's, he's tucking and he's flipping. He's like way up in this, he's like higher than this building, than the ceiling. He's flipping and the looks on his face is he's, you know, he's grimacing and then you just see him. He, he goes back because he's back flipping. So he's back flipping and he reaches back for the water thinking he's going to go straight in like a pencil and he just back flops. Second guy comes up. A lot of pressure on him because this other guy just totally botched it, right? He gets up there. Whole same thing. Only this time, he doesn't backflop. He doesn't even make it far enough around. He reaches back for the water as his knees go into the water. It's terrible. Huge splash. You could, it hurts bad. Imagine if you backflopped your belly flop from like the size of the roof. And they get out of the water and you know, they're high-fiving each other, trying to encourage each other to dry off. And then the judge's score comes in. Across the bottom of the screen, if you've ever watched the Olympics, you know? Guess what they scored him? Just guess. We have a one, a two, zero. They give these two men a zero in front of everyone. It's, it's awful. Okay, you can learn about how disgusting I am as a person. Listen to me. If my life 
was Olympic diving, it would be so full of belly flops and black back flops and huge splashes and zeros across the board, man. Do you know what the implication of the gospel, justification, do you know what that means? It means that my scorecard actually doesn't read zero. It means that my scorecard reads 10 out of 10 because the king of the universe dove in my place. And the same is true for every single person who trusts in the news of the gospel, what God has done, that he dove in your place. It's not just forgiveness for your sin, but isn't that glorious? As amazing as that is, I don't want to diminish forgiveness of sins, but it's more than that. Jesus dove in your place. I get his score. Do you get it? Listen, before you walked in here today, what did your scorecard read? What'd you think? Before my silly diving story, what did your scorecard read? What, would you, what grade would you have given yourself? What, what do you think the judges all around you would give you? The people who, you know, like to assess other people. Like, what, what would your scorecard have read? God offers Jesus' perfect score to everyone who trusts in the gospel that he dove in your place. So listen, if you're justified by what Jesus has done, if you, if you really are justified, if your scorecard really reads 10 out of 10, think about how you'd live your life. Think about how incredibly free you would be. I can't think of, being, of anything that would cause more freedom than that. It means you're incredibly free. You're totally free to be honest, okay? About all of your big splashes, about all of your belly flops, about all of your imperfections, your faults, your sins, your mistakes, your insecurities. Why? Because if your trust is in the gospel, what he's done, the good news of what he's done, those things don't define you anymore, do they? They don't show up on your scorecard anymore, do they? Are you with me? That's freedom. You're free to try new things, even if they don't work out, because what's at stake? Your scorecard reads what? 10. You're free to try new flips and go higher off the diving board and whatever, right? New spins, new jumps, because it's not what you do that justifies you anymore. It's what he did in your place, if you receive it, if you accept it. even if you mess up. So I want to talk about something really quickly. How does this impact us? How does this impact our church? If we're people who value and trust the gospel, what's it going to do? You know what it's going to do? It's going to level the playing field big time. In our community, it's going to level the playing field. Because listen, the playing field. The gospel means we all have something in common, friends. It means every single one of us needs saving. Nobody's better or worse than anybody else. Okay? Each of us has absolutely no hope for forgiveness or freedom or justification without a savior to secure it for us. You ain't gonna nail the backflip and the dive. You wanna know how I know? Because you already did the splash just like me. Your score's already read up on the board zero just like mine. If we truly value the gospel as a church, that means there's absolutely no room for pride in our community, there's not a hierarchy. It's not like a spectrum where you have like, you know, Jesus here and Hitler over there and like you and I are varying degrees here. That's not how it works. Romans says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. There's no room for pride in our community. No one is better or worse than anyone else. We're all equally in need of saving every day. It would be like me being like, hey, my backflip or my belly flop isn't as, isn't as bad as yours. Your belly flop's worse than my belly flop. That's ridiculous. No, there's no room for pride, okay? The next thing, it affects the way that we relate to each other. We're gonna talk about this at length next week when we go through our second value, which is family. The church is the family of God. It's not a business. It's not an event. You are not at church right now. It's not a building. It is the family of God. People who relate to God as father and relate to each other as brothers and sisters. Why? Because of what God has done. Because of the gospel. We'll talk about that next week. Okay? What else does it mean? It means we aren't people who primarily share advice. We're people who share news. Okay? 
So when we relate to each other, Christians, and even not yet Christians, the primary and most important thing we can offer is news about what's already been done through Jesus. Why? Because it blows any advice that you can come up with out of the water. Because news about what God has done, it can enlighten people to the reality that God offers them justification and freedom on top of forgiveness. I don't know what diet you could recommend or lifestyle you could recommend or that could even come close to that. So we're people who primarily, we share, not advice, we share news. And that means we don't move on from it. The gospel is not something we move on from. It's something we move deeper into. Every week, we're going to be talking about the gospel. Every week. This plays out in a very tangible way, friends. The gospel, it's news, right? It's not just our message. It becomes our motivation. It becomes what actually motivates us. Why do I obey God's commands? I could do it like the woman in the interview to try to get things from him, trying to earn his favor, earn his blessing. No, I don't obey to earn something from him. I obey because God loves me. The gospel is my motivation. Why do I pray? Because God loves me and I want to be with him. Why do I read the Bible? Because God loves me and I want to know more about him. Why do I give generously and sacrificially? Because God loves me and he gave himself for me, his body and his blood. Can you think of anything more sacrificial or generous? Why do I serve others? Because God loves me and he served my greatest need. Are you getting this? It's not just our message. It's what motivates us. Why do I obey him? Because he loves me and he's worth it. That's what worship is, to ascribe worth. He's so worth it. Friends, I need you to see something this morning, whether you believe it or not. I need you to see the gospel's the only thing in the universe that has the power to actually change the motivation of your heart. You can try as best you can to force people to do things on the outside and maybe you can, that willpower can last for a little while. But God cares way more about why you do what you do than even what you do. He's after your heart. Only the gospel has the power to transform your motivation from self-centered to selfish, from self-centered and selfish to loving. so we don't ever move on from it. I'm going to skip some stuff here. Yeah. Probably the most amazing part too, most amazing implication, how it impacts our community is that no one's too far gone. Like even the Apostle Paul. I want to read this to you one more time. We just read about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Can you guys throw up verse 9 for me? This is Paul. Yeah. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. I don't know if you know the story, but like, friends, the gospel's for anyone. No one's off limits. The apostle Paul, he organized the murder of Christians. And then God radically transformed his life. He had an encounter with the risen Jesus. He experiences the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus and it completely transforms even him. A dude terrorizing Christians, organizing their murder. I love God, he's so cool. The grace of God has the power to cover even like the absolute worst thing you've ever done. Think about it right now. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. Maybe the thing that you're most ashamed about. The thing that you would cringe the most about if you were forced to stand where I'm standing and tell everybody in the room. Even that even that washed clean in the blood of Jesus. You want freedom, baby? It's available to you. It's available to you. All that shame, all that sin can have zero power because something more powerful, something more transcendent, something a higher authority says, no, no. Choose to forgive us, choose to justify us, and all it takes is trusting him. Yeah, I trust that you did that for me. I don't deserve it. It's amazing. 
A Christian is not someone without sin. A Christian is someone who repents, who turns from sin away from it when they become aware of it and believes the gospel. Like actually believes that God, almighty God, loves me. Friends, the gospel is a message, yes. But it has eternal implications for your life. And listen, more than anything else, more than it's a message, more than it's a motivation, the gospel's a person. His name is Jesus. And he's absolutely crazy about you. And he's proven it. He's proven it. So, do you believe the gospel? Not conceptually, do you receive it in your heart? Is it transforming the way you live? If you value it, Someone could assess your life. Me, God, anybody else in the room and go, that person really values the gospel. They're free. They're justified. They're forgiven. All right, I want to close with this. I'll call the band up. You guys doing okay? I think we're doing good on time. This is great. The last, like last week I preached long. And so today I was really adamant about not preaching long. You're welcome. Gospel is the most important value. Um, raise your hand in the room if you know your calling in life. Handful of you, beautiful. If you're uncertain, I have really cool news for you. Okay? One of my favorite things uh, about being a pastor is watching people like become aware of their calling in life and then stepping into it with courage and obedience. I look around the room and I'm looking at some of you and I'm like, you guys are doing exactly what you should be doing. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's incredible. Stepping into your calling in life. I love it. Nothing, I don't know if anything brings me more joy pastorally than watching this take place. Okay? Like the specific ways that God has invited a person to minister to others. I love it. I look around the room and I see gospel community leaders and I'm just like, you guys are incredible. The ways that you guys love and serve and minister to our community. I just want to honor you publicly for just a moment. The ways that you guys are stepping in more and more to God's call in your life. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. Not everyone's called to be a gospel community. Not everyone's called to be a doctor. Not everyone's called to be a teacher. But there's something really remarkable about the body of Christ. Every member, hand, feet, eyes, nose, ears, and the way they contribute and I'm just highlighting one specific right now. Your gospel community leaders are the bomb.com, okay? Like, you guys are amazing. No one's perfect, but geez, you guys love and serve and lead and step into your calling with courage and boldness and faith, and it's amazing. Herrick Berga, like, this dude is one of the most gifted and loving pastors I've ever met in my life. The way that he serves our community, the way that he's courageously stepped into his calling sacrificially, guys. I'm not going to take too much time because I don't want to, I don't want to take away from his treasures in heaven, but he has, he has sacrificed so much for our community, him and his wife and his children, stepping into their calling. Many of you with your vocation, many of you in your relationships, it's amazing. I want to read you one more passage, give you one more charge, and then I'll get out of your way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. What's your calling? What's, how's God uniquely created you to step into a, 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 him calling out to you and inviting you into something? Verse 18, do we have it? Great, guys. Listen to this. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Underline that, ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to who? To us. The ministry of reconciliation. Listen to me. 
You might not yet be in a place where you're fully aware of the specific and unique call to ministry on your life from God himself. But listen to me, there is a ministry. There is a ministry that all of us have been given by God himself. The ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal where? Through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then here it comes. In verse 21, the gospel in one verse. He, God, made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Transformation, how? Through the message of the gospel of Jesus, what he's done on our behalf. The ministry of reconciliation, friends, is sharing the good news of the gospel to everyone around us. And it's a ministry that God invites all of us into. You want to know your ministry? A huge portion of it, a huge portion of your call to ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel. The good, joyful news of the gospel that reconciles man to God and man to each other and man to creation the way that it was in the beginning. That's why our church is called Restored. Guys, we live in a time where news is either fake news or bad news. I cannot think of a better environment for the gospel. The good and true news to permeate everything. So are people who value the gospel. Let's pray. Spirit, would you speak to us now, please? We want you to minister to us. We open our hearts to you. This cannot just be head knowledge, Father. It cannot just be head knowledge. It cannot just be head knowledge. It cannot just be head knowledge. It's got to make its way to the heart, and that's you're the only hope, Holy Spirit. The reality that Almighty God loves me. Some of you have been trying to earn things from God, and it's really letting you down. I feel like the Spirit wants you to not earn, but to receive what he has for you. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, justification, freedom, peace, rest for your soul. Some of us are still blinded by pride. I'm not as bad as that person. My sin's not as gross as that person. We're caught up in comparing. But Jesus was like, man, if you've even hated someone in your heart, it's murder. If you've even lusted in your heart, it's adultery. But he also said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing compassion of God on display in the gospel of Jesus for each of us. So Spirit, would you make that real? Help us to receive it. Help it to not just be this like, oh my gosh, this is heavy bad news. I, I feel the weight of my sin. Absolutely. Let us feel that. Let us feel the weight of our sin and let us experience the grace of God that comes and bores it on himself takes away our sin. That's the joyful and the good news of being justified. Tens across the board because of Jesus, <laughs> the diver of heaven. Lord, we love you. We're grateful. Would you minister to us now as we praise you for who you are and what you've done? And all God's people said, amen.
Maybe it's just me, but you hear a message like the one today and you're like, yes, but, right? It's always the but. And I think Tom mentioned like trust in Jesus. That's how we receive the gospel. But we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way. A lot of things that get in the way. And so here's what I want to do. I want to close out today by giving you some tools for this week. And hopefully you're here with your household or with whoever that you're going to be doing life with, with your gospel community. And I'm going to put these in your court. And then I want you to take them. And when you see them pop up, remember, oh, this is going to get in the way. I got three categories for you. I'm going to try to move through them quick. The first one is pride. The first one is pride, which says, I don't need grace. In the church, you will probably never hear someone say it. So don't expect someone to tell you, I don't need grace. Or to hear your, that, those words come out of your mouth. Maybe they will, but probably not. But here's how you know that you believe that you don't need grace. I just wrote down a few. When you are caught in a sin or some sort of weakness or some sort of ugliness that comes out of your heart, you become, by the way, I've done all of these, defensive. You become dismissive of other people. You begin to downplay. Oh, it's not that bad. It's really, I'm not really not that bad. You're just not understanding. Actually, if we really understood, we'd realize we're far worse than we know. That's why Jesus died. That's why there's a cross that we look to. Uh, blaming is a big one. Instead of owning it, you start blaming. Pointing the finger at other people. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Uh, blasting. You just blow up on people and blast them. Or like you give yourself over to a pattern of complaining. Always some complaint that's coming out of your heart. Again, I've done all of these. So my point isn't here to make you feel bad. It's to give you some tools to be like, oh, snap. If this is what's in my heart, I'm not going to receive the gospel in this moment. So I'm going to expect misery. Expect some sort of misery or pain to continue. Got some more. Despair is the other side of this. So when you see envy start to stir up, you know, oh no. When you are jealous, when you begin to gossip about other people to cut them down, to feel better about yourself. Is this making sense? Slander. I know I'm ending with the ugly, but hopefully there'll be some hope here at the end. You begin to slander other people. Again, what are you believing in that moment about the gospel? I'm not that bad. They're really bad. Or, I am really bad, but i got to deflect attention to someone else. All those are the categories of sinners. That's the sin category. But there's another category, too, that can get in the way. It's the category of suffering. So when trials and troubles come your way, you have to know and understand that there's going to be things that can keep you from experiencing the love of Jesus. Fear is one. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of experiencing more hurt more pain, more trauma, more suffering. We have things that are unresolved or things that are leftovers from the past. And this is really important. So that story, my past, the things that have been done to me, the things that I've done, then become functionally bigger than the gospel. And you will find yourself running away from Jesus' grace. That's what Jonah did, actually. If you know the story of Jonah... His, his dislike of people in Nineveh caused him to actually not experience the mercy of Jesus, but run the other way because God was good to those people that I actually hate. So if your story becomes bigger than the gospel, you won't receive the gospel. If your pain and trauma become bigger than the gospel, you won't be able to receive it. But here's the good news. These are little micro invitations for you during the week to say, hold on, pause. What am I believing? Is this the grace of Jesus that I'm believing? Am I actually acknowledging my sin and my brokenness and my failures? What's the point of that? To make you feel bad? No, it's so that you can receive the gospel. So that you can receive the joy and the grace of God's healing power for you. Does this make sense? These things will keep you from experiencing it. However, if you're honest about these things in community, again, I've been talking about humility a lot. Hopefully this is making sense. If you are humble and say, here's what I'm really feeling right now. Here's what I'm really experiencing. And you don't defend yourself in it, but you say, actually, I think I'm missing Jesus. Or if somebody else tells you, I think you're missing Jesus, 
and you allow them to gospel you, you will be a gospel person who can actually experience joy and grace. But what will get in the way is pride, despair, or allowing the sufferings and trials of this life to become bigger than the gospel story for you. So I'm going to leave you with that. That's a litmus test for you for the week. And here's the good news. This is a community of people who are all, like Tom said, sinners and sufferers. So we can have tons of empathy for each other and understanding and grace when someone actually takes the time to say, I'm broken, I'm sinful, help me. Or if somebody says, hey, this is a little off. Can we talk about that? You don't have to put your walls up and say no, because it's actually safe to go there with people. And it will actually help you to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Oh, actually, hold on. Heidi, come on up real quick. I've got one more thing. I almost forgot. Heidi is one of our gospel community leaders. She hears from Jesus like few people I've ever met in my life. And I got a sense during the gathering that Heidi has something for the gathering. And I came over to her, and this is what she had. Hi. Um... I got a feeling that there's somebody here that um, has pain in their left shoulder specifically. Um, If that's you, I would love to pray for you. I feel like God is highlighting you and wants to meet you in that. So I would love to pray for you. If um, you're feeling that at all, just come and be blessed. Come find me. Even if I have kids running around, I would love to pray for you. Yeah, so again, fear can get in the way. A fear of disappointment or failure. But if you... Are humble, God might meet you, even in a space like that. Just for something that would seem otherwise small, it's just shoulder pain. It's not small to you. It's probably not small to God either because he loves you and he cares like a good dad or Jesus like a good brother. So, Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this time. I pray that you would help us all walk out the implications of the gospel, which say that Jesus has won. But we know that even after the victory, there's always skirmishes until the full victory is brought in until the full victory is, until all of evil is put away, there's going to be skirmishes until Jesus returns. And it's going to be like around our sin and our suffering. And I pray that we would learn how to, how to battle with grace, with love, with all of the weapons and armor that you've given us. And I pray that as a church that you would help us to see, oh man, every day is an opportunity to experience the gospel afresh. We don't need to let sin or unprocessed suffering keep us from experiencing the love of Jesus that he has for us. So we thank you for this morning, and we love you, and it's your son's name we pray. Amen.